Welcome to the Philippe Matthews Show at thepmshow.tv. Named the Oprah of the Internet by Mark Victor Hansen, Philippe Matthews doesn't ask questions that are different. He simply asks questions that make a difference. The Philippe Matthews Show features entertainers, bestsellers, authors, thought leaders, change agents, and world-class experts in the field of personal, spiritual, and professional development. An internet marketing entrepreneur, Philippe is the creator of the How Movement, dedicated to teaching people how to move from the mindset of hope to the process of how. If you are ready to take your life to the next level, move from the mindset of why to the mindset of why not. Tune in right now to this latest edition of the Philippe Matthews Show and watch your life grow. Dr. Penelope Zugros uh, is licensed in all 50 states as a financial planner and was a professor uh, in Boston and New York for many years when she decided to change careers and join Bay Financial Associates LLC and soon established her own firm, Wealthy Choices LLC. Dr. Sugros is also the author of Wealthy Choices and offers seminars and financial planning through Wealthy Choices LLC. Uh, and Bay Financial uh, Advisors, Inc. Both are registered investment advisors formed to provide fee-based, independent, and comprehensive planning for businesses, uh, business owners, uh, professionals, and artists. She is an advocate for asking good for financial questions and says the better the questions, the better the answers, and the better the results. Her process is to interview you and learn about what is important to you, then analyze all of the data collected, then meet with you again and offer appropriate strategies to help you toward the future you want. It is financial planning for those busy, creative people who want a plan tailored just to fit them, and uh, that's exactly what she does for me, and I love her as I have for many years. I think we've known each other now since, uh, oh, what is it, 2001? Is that right? Yep, just about. Uh-huh. Well, welcome to the show, and welcome to another wonderful conversation. Thank you, and thank you for the intro. I, I would have uh, compliance would want me to add one point that uh to the information that I'm registered in all 50 states with and offering securities through LPL Financial. That's oh, a, a legal, yeah, a legal piece. Got to so, add the yeah. legal piece. Got to add the legal piece. That's right, and and certainly what you said about the way I go about the financial planning is absolutely right. Well, let's talk a little bit about that. But but before we get into the process of financial planning and why it's important and why it's imperative, let's talk about where we're at right now in this economy. Uh, because there are a lot of people who are hoping that it will bounce back or revert back to it to the way it was uh, prior to the uh, real estate fallout, prior to the significant job loss. Where, where are you at on that? The economy will heal. It has healed tremendously since 2008. So if you look at the kinds of earnings in various corporations – being uh, presented this year, 2011, and you see how much of an improvement there is. You see that there are fewer banks that are being compromised or closed. There are, unfortunately, not as many jobs as we want as yet, but definitely, if you look at the absolutely panicky situation we were in in 2008, where it was not just us, but it was all over the world, that we could have lost ourselves in a, uh, a horror show for a much longer period of time. It really was 
brilliant financial management that brought us out of it, and we are mending considerably. Now, if people are looking for the bull market of the 90s, <laughs> uh, excuse me, we have to reset their expectations. Okay, okay. The market will still do well for you if, it, if you're handling it responsibly, but we're not talking about the bull market of the 90s. Well, you know, that, that, that's, uh, that's good news, and, um, you know, I guess it's, uh, as with all investing, patience is a virtue. Absolutely. You got that exactly right. The problem in our society, I think, now is we have a lot of stimulus from various media outlets, the newspapers, magazines, the television programs, that are geared to creating excitement about something that should be a little bit more like brushing your teeth. Mm -hmm. And that isn't too exciting. It's just really important to do. <laughs> so the problem is a lot of the stimulation about money and the conversations, one, are beyond the everyday investor, and number two, are not appropriate for the everyday investor. Mm -hmm. Because investor means that you are looking out five years and longer. You are not trading daily. And a lot of that conversation, that emphasis, the heat that they try to create, the urgency, is about taking trades this week, this day, this moment. Mm -hmm. And clearly, if you're looking to build a portfolio, what you said a minute ago, Philippe, is absolutely right. You have to have patience. You have to have a game plan. Now, it doesn't mean it's foolproof, but it does mean that the service of a good advisor is to help you think about longer-term goals and how, despite what happened in 2008 and 2009 and 10, that you can do okay over the long haul. Because when we look at these charts, and I'm sure you've seen these wonderful mountain charts from the time of the Depression, mm -hmm. and you see things go up and down, it is very scary when you're in the down piece. And that's what we've just been in. But when you take this last 10 years and you flatten it against the last 100, you say, oh, well, yeah, there was a little bit of a decline. So. And we're off and going on to something else. So there's always a bounce back, but the bounce back obviously is different. And um, mm -hmm. it's you know kind of a survival of the fittest, uh, those who stay patient and stay true to the, uh, to the process. Yeah, that's a very important statement, as well as thinking about picking quality investments. Mm -hmm. If you're coming to the market, as some people do, and say, oh, well, it's just a gambling act, then I'm sorry, you've got the wrong mindset. It isn't gambling. When you get up every day and go to work, you're producing something real every day. When somebody goes into a factory, goes into a business, they have demands on them every single day to perform. That's what the S&P 500 reflects. It reflects honest people going to work, doing real work, making credible products, credible services. That is not gambling. That is about real people. So the market really does reflect that. Well, you know, this is interesting because, uh, you know, many people think that they're, they, they would be fine uh, or would be doing fine financially if they just had a little bit more money. Uh, is that true or is that false or, or what is your spin on that? Yeah. What I generally say to people when they tell me that is, okay, you're making more money probably than you were making 10 years ago if we just allow for the fact that you got some raises, maybe you changed jobs, you got a little bit better position, maybe you got some education, you got another degree, and therefore you got more money. You lived 
on the money you had 10 years ago, which was less money. Mm-hmm. So now that you have more money, what are you doing? Are you managing that money well, or is it that every dollar you get, you've already got it spent on some toy or something, a vacation or something else? Have you really kept a discipline about your priorities? Mm-hmm. And for me, most of financial planning is a matter of simply being able to be honest about one of the important questions, asking yourself before you spend it, is this thing a need? Is it a want? Is it a luxury? And if you can honestly look at everything you do that way, and you say, okay, right now we're in an austere period, and I have to deal with needs and minimal wants, And it's not going to be like that forever, but right now I need to do that. Mm -hmm. And if you can do that, that's more important discipline than which equity fund you buy. Because you control most of your money. You put very little comparison, by comparison, into your retirement plan. Maybe you put 15% in there, but you're controlling 50% of your own money. So you've really got to think about those day-to-day decisions. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, I keep hearing the term uh, discipline, discipline. Uh, uh, talk to us about it. It, it, it sounds like uh, in terms of, of, of investing, financial planning, uh, it's, it, there's a certain mindset uh, that, that should accompany uh, this process. Is that right? Yeah, I think that's a very good insight, Philippe. I think that what happens is that if you come to it with the understanding that you or you and an advisor are working on something that's more like building a house or creating a garden that's going to have vegetables to feed you this year and you're going to be able to cultivate the soil so it's good soil for next year. When you think of yourself as a farmer, as a builder, as an investor, those things all have more in common. And if you're coming at it that way, then you know it is not the world of instant gratification and fast moves and big hits and, oh, this thing went up 300% and aren't mm-hmm. I wonderful because mm-hmm. I advised you to buy it. Yeah, and how many things did you advise people to buy that went down mm-hmm. and didn't do that? And they don't advertise that very much. So well, you you're know, absolutely right about it in, in mindset. Well, you know, um, everybody wants uh, a, a windfall. <laughs> everybody comes to people like yourself and advisors and they want uh to to have a big big payout of capital gains and just you know a massive amount of money and and you know that's just not necessarily uh going to happen and and guess what if it does happen if it happen if it happened to happen if they, as they say how how would a big windfall affect people everyone can't handle that can you speak on that oh you're you're right to say that if we look at the studies on lottery winners and we see that for many of those persons, that big windfall evaporates and their lives are worse off because they've had a taste of something, spent it, didn't have a game plan, and didn't understand money. They didn't understand it when it was paycheck to paycheck, and they didn't understand it was not windfall. And that windfall doesn't just come from lotteries. It can come from a divorce settlement. Mm-hmm. It can come from an inheritance. Mm-hmm. And I think what I try to get people to think about when they have inheritance or the money from a divorce, which are the cases that I see more frequently. I haven't had a a lottery winner come to me yet. (laughs) But I think what happens in those cases 
is if the person is so unused to handling money and really has never thought out, how do I do this to be successful? So in the end, they do have what you were talking about, a nice big chunk of money to rely on. Then what we have to do first is help them understand how money works. Mm-hmm. And money has a physics to it. Just like it takes you when you hit the brakes, you're traveling 80 miles an hour. And I understand in Texas now you can go 85 miles an hour legally. Okay, so you're traveling at 85 <laughs> miles an hour. Do you know how long it takes you to um, to brake? If you hit the brakes, how long is it going to take it to stop? Mm-hmm. So it's that kind of physics. There is physics like that in money. There are certain ways that it works. So that if you're looking at guarantees and you say, I'm frightened of the market, I want guarantees, Okay, fine. You can have guarantees. There are lots of things we can show you that have guarantees. Mm -hmm. But you have to understand that those guarantees come with a limited ability to grow the money. It's just the nature of guarantees. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Whereas if you're going to go on the growth side, which is what we were talking about earlier and what people are attracted to and they want those big wins, those things, like anything, has a risk in it. So... You have to have some perspective on risk. It's really just part of life. If you say, I love you, if you say, I want to go into business with you, I want to write a book, I want to start a venture of some sort, all of that is risk, just like being in the market. Mm -hmm. The question is, can you handle it sensibly? Well, you know, this is fascinating because... um Again, it's coming down to discipline, it's coming down to mindset, and it's coming down to not only you <coughs> or, or, or folk like yourself um, that that can help people uh, fiscally, but uh, you, you, in a sense, almost become uh, a financial therapist, in a <laughs> for lack of a better term. Right. It is a matter of, for me, uh, because I'm not interested in just putting you in a plot product or mm-hmm. saying, okay, this is the hot thing, buy it. My game plan as a financial planner is exactly what you said. It's saying, who is Philippe? What are the needs in his life? How does he see things? What kinds of ways was he hurt by the market before? Or what are his big worries? And then from all that long conversation we have initially together, for us to keep working at creating a plan of action that fits Philippe's life, which may be very different from Thrive everybody else, but it fits his psychology, the money he has in his pocket, the goals, the time frames that he has, and then the discipline and the mindset make sense because we're working with you. You're not part of a cookie-cutter world. Mm-hmm. You're unique, and we want to address you who you are in order to make this work. Well, you know, when you talk about, um, you know, winning the lottery or an inheritance or <coughs> money that comes from a divorce, and so you you have this, uh, uh, I don't I don't know if we would call it necessarily a nest egg because that's more of the the the, the end as opposed to the, the beginning, but you know, you you have this uh, money uh, that's sitting there, and you're looking at the economy and you're listening. Uh, uh, unfortunately, to the pundits uh, on you know all of the news stations who are pretty much in, in place to to push a product and not necessarily have your best interests uh, in the long term at heart. And that, like you said, you you know they're talking about 
what's happening in the market right now today as opposed to uh, spanning it out and looking at the big picture. When we talk about, um, uh, you know, what, what, what does money mean? What does it do to you? What, would a, what, what kind of person would you become uh, when you are uh, financially free or financially set? Are those things, is that a, a concept that one has to, to, to discuss with you uh, in order to, uh, you know, best utilize your knowledge and, 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 and the process of financial planning? It is a wonderful conversation to have, and I think you hit on a, a fascinating question. It's not one I generally ask, but over time it can be that it comes up in conversation. The question that you're posing is so fascinating because it says, would you be a different person if you had a big lot of money, whatever you call a big lot of money? Mm -hmm. And what we're asking is not would you do different things, like you would be able to fly to London to see the, the princess and the prince marry. <laughs> right. Not that. Not could you do different things, but would you, would somehow your character be different? Mm -hmm. Would you um, not talk to the people that you grew up with? Would you distance yourself from certain kinds of people? What would change in your value system? Mm -hmm. Now, generally I come at that differently by virtue of saying to someone, okay, you have this kind of money right now, and if we go through this program in five years, ten years from now, we see we've amassed more money for you. What would you want to have happen to that money? And that's a values question. That part of the discussion, I think, is critical, Philippe. And I think one of the things that financial planners do very badly if they have been trained for product is they don't ask the person about values. I was talking to a client just recently and nobody had asked her about her charitable inclinations. And she's a woman who is in her 80s, whom it matters a great deal to her that certain charities be benefiting on her death. Mm -hmm. And nobody had let, given her the opening for the conversation. Mm -hmm. And that's because they weren't paying attention to who's this person, what are her values, how does she want her life to be understood by other people afterwards. So that's really how I address the values question. I don't really come at it from the point of view of uh, if you had a, a ton of money, would you be a different person? It's hard for people to imagine, I think. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Very well said. <coughs> In your assessment <coughs> over the years of doing this, what do you think are some key values and characteristics that uh, uh, garner success uh, in financial planning? I think the first is to believe that you have a future. And the reason I say that uh, is that there are people who, if you ask them what their goals are, they'll say they don't have any. Or the folks that I deal with who are coming out of drug and alcohol and prison um, imprisonments of various sorts, they're new to thinking of their lives as something they can control and build. Mm. But it's not only persons who have had those sort of much uh, more debilitating experiences. It can be anyone 
who has had the dream taken out of him as a young person. So that if I ask somebody, what are your goals? And they say, I don't have any. That becomes worrisome to me because financial planning really is driven by you're having a vision of something for the future. You believe that you have a future that can be better for yourself and if you have a family that you say, I'd like it to be better for my family as well. So most of the people I deal with have that kind of conviction Mm -hmm. that they believe that they have a future and they they do want something better for their family. So that becomes the first thing because that's the motivator. And if we don't have that motivator, um, it's really hard. I can do all the fancy uh, planning that I'm capable of, but it's not going to take, it's not going to be meaningful uh, for that person because they say, well, yeah, so I do it, I don't do it, what difference does it make? But the person who has really a belief about what they want for the future, that person starts engaging and saying, okay, you've given me those recommendations, why do you think they'll work? How do you think they work? Um, what's the good part here? What's the bad part? What do I have to watch out for? And that's definitely a conversation that I have because I always want someone to understand we're making this design, we're creating this game plan for you, and I want you to understand how it works. I want you to understand where it's vulnerable, what we're going to have to keep monitoring, and that's a process. Now the person is engaged because they see how the thing works. It's not me pontificating, it's me working with a person to say, okay, let's see if we can get that dream house. Let's see if we can educate those children. Whatever it is that's important to them. That's fascinating because seeing yourself in the future is, uh, uh, you know, the difference between life and death and obviously in between quality of life. <coughs> um, what I What I think is interesting is that this new economy and the and the last uh, four or five years uh, has um, really affected people to the point where they have been placed in survivor mode. Yeah. And um, it's difficult uh, to see yourself in the future, especially when you thought you already planned for it. Yeah, that's right. That's uh, right. So, so I guess speak to speak to the people who who you know. Basically, they they thought they did everything right, uh, and then they find themselves having to go back into the work market, the, the job market, uh, or uh, diminishing their nest egg or losing it all together. They're angry. They're angry at a system that has failed them because their belief was that if I do these things and I put the money aside in my retirement plan, I should be just fine. Mm-hmm. And in a sense... If they did not panic, they can still be fine because if you were in quality investments, even though for the moment you may be in survivor mode because one of you has lost a job or you're working at a job that's less pay than you had before, if you haven't had to deplete all those retirement assets and had been able to give them a chance to restore themselves, if they were good quality, you're going to be fine, but it is always so hard to see the light when you're in that moment of panic. Mm -hmm. It is just really, really, it helps you a whole heck of a lot if you have someone who can advise you and keep talking you down to be calm about it and see these patterns have existed 
If you look at the economy since 1850, you're going to see what happened with interest rates. You're going to see what happened with investments. These are not new things. It's just that you, at the moment, are startled by it. Mm. And it is not as bad as what has just happened in the tornadoes. It is not what just happened in the South, where the destruction in those uh, places is is absolute. It's not mm-hmm. that kind of destruction. And even so, those people are going to rebuild. Mm-hmm. They're going to, those who were not killed by it, they will rebuild. So I think that when we're in survivor mode, what we need to do is learn more. Mm-hmm. We need to talk to somebody who can help show us how to keep going forward. If we make the analogy that for the market, if you felt like you lost a lot of money, think about it as a sick person. When a healthy person gets the flu, it gets a really, really bad cold. Yeah, they get sick, maybe they're in bed for a week, but the body eventually is healthy and it pulls out of it. Mm -hmm. If you have had good quality investments, they will also get sick. They will go down in that period of time, but they will also recover. Mm, Your word earlier, patience. Yes, it's patience and mindset. You're absolutely right about those. Mm, I love that analogy. Yeah, you know, your your financial plan and the situation it gets it it has. Well, you said it has a it has a physical. It's, it's physics. It has a, yeah. a physicality to it. It's a really mm-hmm. a living, breathing <coughs> entity. Yeah. Uh, separate from yourself, I, I think that's a fascinating way to look at it, um, as opposed to looking at it from a material perspective. I, I, I absolutely love that. Well, when you talk to people who you're counseling, and you talk about quality of life issues, what are some of the things that have a commonality with what I'm saying? Aren't they very mm-hmm. much similar? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Now, you say there are two things uh, that. <clears throat> one needs to be successful with money. Right. Um, talk to me about those two things. What is that? One is what we've been talking about. It's you need to know to be successful with money, you need to know two things. What runs money? And by that I mean the physics of it, that you need to know the difference between the nature of a guaranteed product and the nature of a growth product. You need to understand how those things are different, just as you would say that a horse and buggy is different than driving a Jaguar. Well, they'll both get you to point A and B. They'll both carry the groceries home, but definitely the horse and buggy is a lot different than riding in that Jaguar. So the growth instrument and the the guaranteed instrument are similarly, they have characteristics related to themselves. So one thing you need to know is all those issues about what runs money. And the second is the other piece of the puzzle, what runs you? And that was what we were talking about in terms of those people who get a windfall from a lottery, inheritance, divorce, any other big chunk of money that comes to them, where what's happening is if they didn't understand themselves mm-hmm. and what a need, a want, a luxury was, what it meant to plan for the future, if the only way they have ever understood money is it's in my pocket, it's burning a hole, I'm going to spend it. Mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. If that's their only model for money, then they don't understand what runs them, what's pushing their buttons to do those destructive things. And generally they are destructive if we don't have any ability to look long-term. It's like somebody who who can't ever diet or can't handle their food properly. 
and say, well, you know, a person who's reasonable is going to be able to say, yeah, you know, I've eaten enough, or be able to, yeah, sort of gain a little pudge and then lose a little pudge. All right, you know, it goes up and down, but it doesn't get to the point where it's out of control. And part of that is, I think, living in a very frenetic environment. Mm -hmm. Think about the fact that a person can listen to our interview, not take even five minutes to think about what may have been interesting or new or different, and then be on to listening to music, going to see something on the television, running to the grocery store, going to a movie, going out for dinner. There is such a lot of input that we don't give ourselves quiet time to relish anything. And we do that with our food. We don't eat with a sense of relishing it. And therefore, I think we are obese because we haven't enjoyed what we were eating. If we could have calmed down to appreciate the food in front of us, we wouldn't need to consume as much because we would have an appreciation of it. We'd be calmer. And I think that happens with money. It happens with food. It happens with the experiences, this constant looking for stimulus. I think that's fascinating. <clears throat> that's absolutely fascinating at one point. Um, you, you know, one one question is where do we learn where do we learn about money? Well, mm. we can look at, of course and say, well, you know, maybe I learned something from my parents or how they handled money or <clears throat> you know somebody that might have influenced. Uh, your way of thinking as you were growing up and became an adult and looked at how they did it and tried to do what they do. But this is so individualistic. It's, it's uh, uh, you know, you, you really have, you really are a, a financial mentor because that's really what we need is someone to mentor us if we weren't uh, raised uh, to think this way, to see and approach money uh, from this vantage point. Yeah, you're probably right. We don't have a lot of training. Some people have parents that are able to pass something on, and sometimes a very uh, prudent and, and wise parent shows all the right models, and yet the individual doesn't pick it up. There could be three kids in the family, one kid gets it, and the other two don't get it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And we don't. That's the mystery of the human personality, which, of mm -hmm. course, your work deals with uh, in spades, is constantly understanding what makes people tick and how do they come to the emotional, spiritual growth that they need to have and maybe miss out on because, again, they need coaching to do that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. We don't live alone. You're right. We do need each other, and we do need each other as corrective. We need each other as coaches. We need each other for love. We need each other for all the support. So in that process, hopefully, we're around some people who care enough about us to be willing to offer some advice and to put up with our guff when we seem not to hear them the first time and maybe it takes a lot of times for them to say the same thing before they really listen. You know, uh, as, you, as you were talking, something kind of came to mind, and, and I just want to float it, float it uh, to mm -hmm. you for a moment and <clears throat> tell me if, if, if this is something that you want to speak on, and that is, there, there are a lot of people who, you know, if you ask most anyone uh, in the world, uh, would you like more money? Uh, they would probably say yes. Um, 
But then if you gave them a plan and a process to accomplish that, to achieve that, <clears throat> they might uh, more than likely not necessarily follow it to the uh, uh, to the letter uh, to their best benefit. Talk to me about the people who say they want money, but they don't really feel deserving of of living a life with financial freedom. They they they're somehow disconnected. They're the very thing that they're asking for is the very thing that they resent. That's a that's a deep one, Philippe. I think that's a very complicated structure, and uh, I think sometimes the combination of the kind of work you do and the kind of work I do needs to come together to address that. Because when we're looking at somebody who's that destructive for himself or herself, we have a whole different set of things. If somebody says they want more money, often that means I want it gifted to me without effort. So mm -hmm. I want to go on one of those programs where I'm going to win a big bunch or I'm going to play the lottery, blah, blah, blah. So there's one mindset that for them money is simply handed to me. I don't want to work at it. I just want it. Not that I'm going to do anything meaningful with it, but I just want more mm -hmm. money. Mm -hmm. So there's that. And then there are a whole bunch of people who have complicated situations, like a young man who starts making more money than his dad ever made and starts feeling guilty about the fact that he made more money than his dad, and then it becomes complex for him. Instead of being able to talk it out in the family, and maybe that needs an expert to help that family not resent the young man, have the dad realize the dad is still loved and valued, that it wasn't about the money, those are things that we have to really see where the pain is. Why does someone feel unworthy? Mm -hmm. And then work with them to understand, okay, if you really think that you're making um, $200,000 a year is way more than you should be paid, guess what? You can set up a foundation. You can set up trust. You can do so much good in the world. If you want to live simply and you want to spend only $40,000 a year of your money and you want to gift it away, bravo for you. Mm -hmm. That's a wonderful thing. But whenever you look at the gifts that you have, the talents that you have, and you say, well, I'm uneasy with them, then you have to say, okay, I have those things for a reason. It must be that I'm called on to do something with them. Mm -hmm. So then just find a way to do something with them. Maybe it means, like a young friend of mine who's in the Peace Corps in Rwanda, came from middle-class home right here in the Boston area, educated um, at college, and then her desire, her heart's work, was to go to Rwanda and try to help in a country where in like a hundred days they lost 200, 300,000 people by slaughter. And just uh, the numbers are, are horrific to think mm -hmm. about. So when somebody is uneasy about money, we really have to start to understand what part of that. Money itself is not evil. Money itself is something that we can do so much good if we're just thoughtful about it. Mm -hmm. Each of us, no matter how little we have, can do a little bit something. So it's it's never about we can't do it. The question is, 
do we want to? Are we motivated to see ourselves as no man is an island, but we're all connected and we all have both the privilege of helping other people and being helped by them? Oh, that's fantastic. Thank you for answering that. I, you know, that's something that uh, I know most people struggle with. It's something that I have struggled with. And, and um, I, I think that it, it, you do need a brilliant uh, uh, mind uh, in, in financial planning that <clears throat> does uh, not just the doing but also the thinking uh, uh, as it relates to, uh, you know, each individual and, and, and getting into the head and the mindset of each uh, person that you work with. Uh, that being said, <coughs> I know reading your work and, of course, working with you, uh, you always talk about uh, three big mistakes uh, generally that people make with money. Uh, what are those three mistakes? The first is not understanding what it takes, if you ever have the concept that you'd like to be at a time in your life where you don't have to work, we used to call it retirement. I'm not sure what we call it these days. <laughs> it's becoming an unfashionable term. But if we think about what we traditionally used to call about retirement, and you think about what it takes for you to take a two-week vacation, how much money do you have to put aside for a two-week vacation? And do you put it on the credit card, or do you actually save for a two-week vacation? Mm. And then you start saying, okay, so 30 years of retirement, that's a lot of two-week vacations. Mm -hmm. Do you have any idea of the magnitude of what you need to put aside to fund those things? And do you understand that the earlier you fund it, you can do smaller amounts over a longer period of time, and you can pretty well aim at those targets and get pretty close to them. So I would say the first thing that people don't realize is what those kinds of goals take and that they are serious goals they have to address at some point. Now, you, you could wor work until you drop. And that actually, if you read a book like um, The End of Poverty, a wonderful book by uh, Sachs, Jeffrey Sachs, um, world economist, went to all the poor places of the world, really understands what poverty is about. And he said, you know, look at earlier generations. That's what people did. There wasn't a thing like retirement. That's a very privileged idea to think that you're going to have time that you're not working. For most people, it's they work until their bodies can no longer function or until they drop. And say, so, oh, well, that's sort of not the middle-class American idea. The middle-class American idea is to have the golden years. All right, so around all of that, I would say the first mistake is simply not understanding the order of magnitude for those numbers. Then the second is not having uh, a sense of consistency. I would rather somebody got disciplined to put $5 a week away than create big plans in their head. If I can get mm -hmm. someone to start $5 a week in a bank where they don't have an ATM card, <laughs> mm -hmm. and just put it in the bank every week, <laughs> wonderful. If they can do $50, $500 a week, I don't care what the number is. I care about the discipline. That goes back to what you said earlier. I care that they begin a discipline of doing something regularly mm -hmm. about that. And then I would say the the third thing is the sense of when we see our work as an exchange of the hours of our life, 
then we have to start saying, when am I about to buy this shirt, these sneakers, this um, television set, whatever it is I'm going to buy? How many hours of my life at work is it going to take for me to buy that thing? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And does that make sense? And that's a huge mistake when we forget that we are trading hours of our life we can never get back for any one of those things. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And the question is, yeah, you're going to put it in a yard sale (laughs) in another Mm -hmm. year because the thing is no longer interesting to you? Mm -hmm. Or you're going to say, yes, I understand. And this particular thing, like an education or getting braces for the kids' teeth or uh, getting a, a good refrigerator. Those things, yes, those things may be worth the hours of my life mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because I'm living in a complex society. I'm not living on Walden Pond, which is here in Massachusetts, where mm-hmm. Henry David Thoreau managed to live for, uh, I think, 18 months as a person who lived in a, a little hut without any of those conveniences. Mm-hmm. But most of us are are not aspiring to doing that. But we can live more simply. We do not have to buy into all this other stuff. And it catches us up short when we realize we're trading off the only thing we cannot replace, the hours of our life. Mm -hmm. We cannot replace that. So, yeah, you can work three jobs to get that television. Does it make sense? Mm -hmm. Very good. Well said. Well said. Oh, my gosh. Well, you know, I'm, one of the things that I'm honored about is that you um, are now a regularly featured columnist for the Fleet Matthew Show on our blog. <clears throat> uh, and uh, you can read Dr. Uh, Sue Gross' column at uh, www.thepmshow.tv. But what I'm really uh, happy about is that you will, uh, our readers, rather, will get a chance to uh, get really high-end quality um, uh, information on uh, not necessarily how to financially plan and the details of that, because, of course, that would require them to become a client of yours, which is uh, always optimal, but to to train them on how to think uh, about money uh, and how to become more aware of their awareness uh, of money. And, how, mm-hmm. and their mindset. I, I, I can't commend you enough. Thank you so much. Well, it is a great joy to be associated with you as we have been friends for so many years. I have admired the work that you've done and the real commitment you have to retraining the way people think and getting to them to be more um, inspired in their own lives to understand that there is so much they can do. They're not cut off. They can do anything they want. There is so much potential, and you keep trying to open that up for them. So, bravo, Philippe. Well, my my, my dear Dr. Penelope uh, Sugros, I, I love you, honor you, and you have been uh, a gem in my life and a bright, bright, bright light in my life of, of guidance and friendship. I wish for that to continue, and uh, I'm now just honored that uh, that can be extended uh, to our readers and our listeners uh, and our viewers of our show. Thank you, my dear, for being with me. My pleasure.